And if you have your Bible this morning, I want to invite you to turn with me to the New Testament book of 2 Timothy, and we'll be in chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3. And while you're turning there, I want to tell you of a newspaper article I read just this last Monday. It was in the USA Today, the online edition. Uh, The article was by Oliver Thomas, and the title, American Churches Must Reject Literalism and admit we got it wrong on gay people. Uh, Now, interestingly enough, the article is not about homosexuality. Uh, You may not have known this, but newspaper articles are written by one group of people, and newspaper headlines are written by different people. And so if you've ever read an article that didn't match the headline, now you know why. And this is just such an article. Uh, But Mr. Thomas uh, writes this article uh, to talk about the American church and the Bible. And his contention in the article is that if the American church is to have any hope of survival, then what we need to do is to abandon the idea that the church should believe the entire Bible. Uh, He suggests that we should take parts of the Bible that seem helpful to us and we should embrace those things, but we should take the parts of the Bible that are not helpful to us and we should discard those things. Now, I think Mr. Thomas asks a really important question. And I'd like for us to take some time this morning and see if we can discover from God's word what is the answer to that question. As it turns out, some of the reading in our 100 days through the Bible just this last week addresses just the question, just the issue that Mr. Thomas raises in his article. Can we, as faithful Christians, hold on to passages like John 3.16 and John 14 and 1 Corinthians 13 and and uh, Psalm 23 and all of our favorite parts of scripture, but things like the first five chapters of Romans or the first three chapters of 1 Corinthians and other places where people uh, sometimes find their sensibilities offended. Can we set aside some parts and embrace other parts and still be faithful Christians? I think Mr. Thomas asks a very good question. And so we're going to try to tackle that this morning. I'll read to you the first line of the article. Uh, Churches will continue hemorrhaging members until we face the truth. Being a faithful Christian doesn't mean accepting everything the Bible teaches. Now, that should have been the title of the article. That's what it's about. Uh, the, The fear that churches may continue, as he says, to hemorrhage, to lose members unless we abandon our strict understanding that the Bible is completely true. Now, uh, I I want us just to give a a fair hearing to Mr. Thomas's uh, suggestion because I think it raises a good question. But I do want to point out one error that he makes in that very first sentence. He supposes, he assumes that the primary goal of the church is to not hemorrhage Members, as he says. He, he, he says the primary goal of the church is attendance. And so if we're not careful with this issue, we may lose our attendance. Now, 
uh, attendance is important to churches. I'm thankful that we have a, a good crowd this morning. I'm, I'm thankful for, for the numbers that God gives to us, but I want to say to Mr. Thomas that attendance is not our focus. It's not our goal. Now, we would rather have more people than fewer people. We certainly want to have a, a growing church, not a shrinking church. But, you know, sometimes... We just have to pause and recognize that our, our, our one purpose is to honor the Lord. It, it's not attendance. It's not money. It's, it, it's, it's not a facility. Our purpose here is to honor the Lord. And sometimes when you honor the Lord, attendance goes up. And sometimes when you honor the Lord, attendance goes down. I think about Jesus' sermon he preached in John chapter 6. And, and you can turn and read that sermon sometime. Uh, when he gets to the end of his message, almost all of his followers abandon him. So was that message, was that church service, so to speak, that Jesus led, was that a success or a failure? Well, if you measured it by attendance, it would be a failure. He lost a big part of his group. But if you measured it by the honor it brought to the Lord, it was a success. Uh, Mr. Thomas, our goal is not membership. Our goal is to honor the Lord. But he does make a, 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 a point, and we need to verify this. We need to see if this, in fact, is true. He says being a faithful Christian does not mean accepting everything the Bible teaches. Is that the case or not? Well, he goes on a few sentences later and he says this, here's the corner we've painted ourselves into. The Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. Yet, he goes on to say, the Hebrew and Christian scriptures did not float down from heaven perfect and without error. They were written by men and those men made mistakes. Now, uh, we certainly as Christians don't believe the scriptures floated down from heaven. Uh, the Bible tells us in many places, 1 Peter chapter 1, 2 Peter chapter 1, uh, I should say, tells us specifically how we receive the Spirit, uh, how we receive the Bible. The Holy Spirit guided men to write down precisely what God would have them to write down. Uh, but, but here again, he restates his uh, suggestion uh, that we should not embrace all of the Bible as true. Uh, he goes on in the next few lines of the article to point out some errors uh, that he found in Scripture. And, and that really would be the subject of another message. And one day we'll do that and talk about some of these difficult Bible passages. Uh, but each of the four or five passages that he points to and calls those things errors uh, can easily be explained. Those are not evidences that the Bible is less than reliable. In fact, when I read through his list, I thought, uh, Mr. Thomas, I probably could have given you an even more difficult <laughs> list of scriptures to explain uh, than the ones that he cites. But he does cite some things that confuse him. I think that probably says more about his Bible knowledge than it does the Bible, but he cites some things. And then he cites two contemporary examples, two contemporary evidences that the Bible is untrue. And, and these uh, uh, need some comment. He, he says that the Bible can't be true because of the issues of slavery and women's rights. 
And, and what he means, he, he doesn't really spell it out, but what he means, what he's talking about is that through the years there have been people who have called themselves Christians and have used the Bible, have misused the Bible to support their views, their sinful views on slavery or women's rights. And so that is beyond dispute. People have done that. But that does not say anything about the veracity, the truthfulness of Scripture. That simply says something about those men and their sin. And we should condemn that. When people have used the Bible and have twisted the Bible and have made it say things that it does not say, that's not a reason to reject the Bible. That's a reason to point out the sin of those people. So he goes on. Uh, sort of to cap his article with this sentence. Churches will continue hemorrhaging members and money at an alarming rate until we muster the courage to face the truth. We got it wrong on gays and lesbians. And so there's where he brings up that subject right at the end of his article. So it's interesting that he uh, he phrases that sentence like he does. He, he does it in a way that allows us to test the validity of, of what he's saying. And, and this is interesting, and I appreciate how he's worded this. He has said that if churches don't soften their view of Scripture, particularly on the subject of gays and lesbians, as he says, but if churches don't soften their view of Scripture, that they will continue to hemorrhage members and money at an alarming rate. Now, here's what's interesting. Many churches have done precisely what Mr. Thomas suggests that they do. Whole denominations of churches have taken him up on his advice 10, 20, 30 years ago, and they have softened their stand on Scripture and on the particular subjects that Mr. Thomas points to. And so we can do a little test here. Now, what are those denominations called that have taken this advice and have done what he suggests? Well, they're called mainline denominations. And I don't know if you know that phrase or not, but that is just simply the set of Christian denominations in America, about eight or nine denominations that have collectively softened their view of Scripture, that you can take parts and not take parts, particularly on the issues that Mr. Thomas points to. So how have those churches done? Mr. Thomas says, if we don't do that, we're going to hemorrhage members and, and money at an alarming rate. So what have the churches done over the last couple of decades? What has happened to those who have followed his advice? Uh, well, the numbers are interesting. Uh, the Disciples of Christ, which really was the first denomination to to take his advice, and of course he's giving his advice this week and they took it 25 years ago, uh, but they've been following his advice. Uh, the disciples of Christ have declined 67%. Uh, the United Church of Christ also has taken his advice, they've declined 52%. Uh, the Episcopal Church uh, that in the last few years has prided itself in taking Mr. Thomas's advice. They've declined 49%. Uh, the Presbyterian Church USA, and you've got to understand that there's more than one kind of Presbyterian church, just as if there's more than one kind of Baptist church, but the Presbyterian Church USA 
has declined 47%. Uh, but what about those churches who have refused to compromise uh, the, the Bible, that, that have embraced the whole Bible as true? How have they done over the same period of time? Well, the Southern Baptist churches, and we are one of those, uh, we were going the same direction as the mainline denominations. A number of years ago, in the mid to late 80s, we made a decision that we would be a, a church of the book of the Bible. And since then, the Southern Baptist Convention has grown 46%. Uh, the Presbyterian PCA, just to give you some context here, made a similar decision about the same time they've grown 790%. Now, numbers alone don't justify a biblical stand. I mean, the Bible is true whether the numbers support it or the numbers don't support it, but the numbers do tell us that we ought to take great care before we listen to this kind of advice and we abandon what the Bible tells us is sacred and what the Bible tells us is true. So let's answer the question. And let's honestly, let's, let's give it a fair shake. Can we as Christians embrace parts of Scripture and reject other parts of Scripture? Well, 2 Timothy chapter 3, one of the passages we read this last week speaks to that. And I want to read just one verse. Verse 16, all Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting for training in righteousness. The Apostle Paul says all Scripture, all Scripture is, is profitable. It is reliable. It is inspired, which means it comes from the Lord. All Scripture. The Apostle Paul contends that we as Christians cannot approach the Word of God like we are at some buffet trying to find out which foods are most appetizing to us. The Apostle Paul takes the, the stand that it is all or nothing. The Apostle Paul says all Scripture is, is reliable. All Scripture is inspired. All Scripture is breathed out by God. So we've got these two, we have these two reasonable approaches. Uh, Mr. Thomas, let's choose the scriptures that are most helpful, discard the remainder, and then the Apostle Paul, all scripture must be accepted. Which one is true? So I want to give you four testimonies this morning, four testimonies that will support the fact that scripture is either all or nothing. I, I want to show you that it's not just the Apostle Paul saying all Scripture, but there are these four testimonies that taken together clear the issue, it is all or nothing. So testimony number one is the testimony of Scripture. And the testimony of Scripture says the Bible's consistent assertions do not allow for the Bible to be divided. If you just look at the text of Scripture itself, it says that it can't be divided into what is true and helpful and what is untrue or insensitive. The Bible itself says that it has to be taken as a whole. And we would start right here in 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is inspired by God. The word inspired in the original is uh, theonoustos. 
Theo means God, noustos, uh, where we get our word pneumonia means breath. All scripture is breathed out by God. All scripture is an expression of the heart of God. Jesus said something very similar in Matthew 4, 4. Jesus said, it is written, man must not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus said every single word that has come from God, that should be the foundation of our lives. And so the scripture itself says that it's reliable, that it's indivisible, that we should embrace it and that we should honor it. If we look at just the claims of scripture and we start in the very first pages, the first five books of the Bible are called the Pentateuch. And in the Pentateuch, there are 680 claims to divine inspiration. And then we go to the historic books of the Old Testament, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings and, Kings and so forth. There are 418 claims to divine inspiration there. If we go to the poetic books, that's Psalms and Proverbs and so forth, there are 195 claims of divine inspiration. If we go to the prophetic books, Jeremiah and Isaiah and so forth, there are 1,307 claims of divine inspiration. The New Testament contains over 300 direct quotations and over 1,000 indirect references from the Old Testament, all or almost all declaring or implying that they were God's own word. Altogether, biblical writers make some 4,000 claims that the Bible is God's written word. Let me give you some examples. We can't go through all 4,000, I wish we could. Uh, but let me share with you what Jesus said in Matthew chapter five. He said, don't think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish it, but to fulfill it. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or one stroke of a letter will pass away from the law until all things are accomplished. What did Jesus say? Not even a dot over an I or, or a cross through a T will ever change God's word can't be divided. Uh, listen to what he said in Luke chapter 16, verse 17. It is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one stroke of a letter in the law to drop out. Now, Jesus, and I may share this in a video tomorrow that we'll post online if I have time. Uh, Jesus uh, gave eight different separate reasons while the Old Testament is true and indivisible. And then he gave four different and separate reasons why the New Testament would be reliable and indivisible. Jesus said that it is all or nothing when it comes to God's word. Let me look at one more verse. 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21 says, no prophecy of scripture comes from the prophet's own interpretation. Uh, because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. So the Bible, prophecy is the Bible, it does not come from man. Instead, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that gave the, the truth, the scripture, the words to those men who recorded it. It has come to us from the Lord. That's the testimony of scripture. Jesus said in Matthew, I'm sorry, in John 10, 35, that scripture cannot be broken. So church, you can reject all of scripture. Okay. That would be, uh, in, unadvisable. 
uh, for a lot of reasons, but that would at least be intellectually honest. You could say the whole thing is wrong. Or you could embrace all of Scripture. But you cannot, with intellectual honesty, embrace only part of Scripture. Because Scripture itself says that it is a whole. Scripture itself says of itself that it is reliable through and through. And so Scripture is an all or nothing matter. So that's the testimony of Scripture. Now, let me share with you a second testimony, the testimony of logic. The testimony of logic says this, if it is not all reliable, then it is not at all reliable. Now, that's hard to say, maybe hard to listen to, but so follow it word at, word at a time. If it is not all reliable, then it is not at all reliable. What that means is if we can't trust all of it, then we really can't trust it. If you tell me that 90% of this is true and 10% of this is false, then you can't say that this is a reliable book. It is all or nothing. If I can't trust what the Bible says about creation, how can I trust what the Bible says about salvation? I mean, if it got one thing wrong, how do I know it didn't get the other thing wrong? If I can't trust what the Bible says about the nature of God, then how can I trust what the Bible says about the nature of man and how our nature can change? If I can't trust what the Bible says about what is right and what is wrong, then how in the world can I trust what the Bible says about how to overcome my guilt when I do what is wrong? You see, either all of the Bible is reliable or the Bible itself is unreliable. We turn to the Bible for life's most important questions. How can I find forgiveness for my sins? How can I experience love and joy and peace and patience? How can I have a godly marriage? How can I raise godly children? How should I handle my money? We turn to the Bible for all of those questions. But if the Bible is filled with ignorance, uh, with prejudicial opinions and with outdated thinking, then how could I turn to it for anything, anything? Either it is all true or it is not reliable. Now, I, I want to be careful here because as I was writing the message, I, I thought, what would, what would Mr. Thomas say if we were sitting across the table from one another and, and having a coffee at a coffee shop and, and I shared these things with him, what would he say? Uh, because I want to be as complete as I can be in the message. And, and I think with the first point, the testimony of Scripture, there's really no rebuttal. The Scripture says of itself that it can't be divided. There's, there's no rebuttal. Other than I reject all of Scripture, there's no rebuttal. But what about this? that it's all or nothing. Logically, it's all or nothing. Well, I, I, I imagine that Mr. Thomas would say, because this really is the, uh, is the heart of his article, of his argument in the article, I think he would say, uh, Noah, we don't live in a perfect world, and we don't have any perfect tools. And the Bible is helpful to us, but not perfect. And so we don't need to reject it because it's not perfect. Let's just take from it the helpful parts and, and then just understand that some parts are going to have to be jettisoned. 
It's not a perfect book, Pastor. Let's take from it what we can. Well, uh, if that's a proper rebuttal to testimony number two, uh, it is um, precluded by testimony number three. So let me share this with you. This answers that question if you're thinking that way. The third testimony is the testimony of theology. And it says this, God is not God if he is not correct, truthful, and sovereign. You know, when we think about God, we think about him in certain categories. There are just certain things that we mean when we say the word God. For instance, we mean that God is sovereign or God is all-powerful. Uh, when we think of a God, we don't think of a God who struggles or a God who is weak or a God who gets tired or a God who can't do what he wants to do. When we think of God, we think of an all-powerful creator. Another thing we think of when, when we think of God is uh, one who is all-knowing, that God knows everything. He knows the past and the future. He knows everything about the present. Uh, he's not confused. He's not surprised. God knows everything. And then another thing we think about God when we do think about him is, is that God is good, that God wants to bless his creation. Now, you could logically think of God as evil, and, and that's, that, that would be wrong, but that's not an illogical way of thinking of God. But if God is evil, then of course we can't trust his book and we ought to just discard it. But for our purposes this morning, let's assume that God not only is all-powerful and all-knowing, but let's assume he is good. If those three things are true, then we know, number four, God tells the truth. We know he tells the truth because if he is sovereign, if he's all-powerful, there's no reason for him to hide the truth. He's not fearful of something. If, if God is all-knowing, then he knows what the truth is. And if God is good, he wants us to know the truth so that we can go in the right direction. So if we take those four things we know about God, he's all-powerful, all-knowing, he is good, and he is a truth-teller, then here's what we know about the Bible. First, God has not erred in communicating scripture. I mean, if God's all powerful, then God didn't mess up and give us some information that's just not true. If God is all powerful and all knowing and good and truth telling, then he did not err when he gave us the Bible. We also know that God has not been untruthful when he gave us the Bible. He didn't try to trick us. He didn't try to mislead us. He didn't try to confuse us. We also know that God has not been stymied by anything in his communication of scripture. He has not been held back by situations or by people's prejudices or by people's ignorance. When God chose to give his scripture through the apostle Paul, the apostle Paul and his weaknesses did not stymie the all-powerful God from giving us what he wanted to give us. And number four, God's preservation of scripture has not been derailed. God has not been unable to keep his word uh, preserved through the generations. If he is all powerful and all knowing, if he is good and always communicates the truth, then God can preserve his word. Now, what does that tell us? It tells us that God doesn't have any regrets about scripture. God is not saying, ooh, I wish I would have said that differently. 
God's not sitting up in heaven and flipping through the book and saying, oh, I wish I wouldn't have put that in there, or I wish I would have explained that a little further, or boy, I wish somebody wouldn't have messed that up. I wish I would have been better in control of that, or really, he wrote that? I didn't know he was going to write that. Why is that in here? Listen, none of those things can be true. If God is all-powerful and all-knowing, if God is good and tells the truth, then our Bible must be reliable. It does not make sense that there could be an all-powerful, all-knowing, good God and then an unreliable, uh, uh, confusing, and errant uh, copy of what he would have for us to know. That's the testimony of theology. Now, finally, I want to share with you the testimony of the surrendered life. There's only one authority at a time that can sit on the throne. This is not a debate. Listen, church, this is not a debate about how well preserved the Bible has been through the generations. Even secular scholars uh, will tell us that no book has ever been so well preserved from, from the original to today than the Bible. This is what it was in the beginning. This is not a debate about whether certain parts of the Bible should be interpreted sociologically or culturally. There are parts of the Bible like that, but the Bible itself makes it pretty clear. Uh, you can't explain the errors by, um, by saying it's a sociological or a cultural interpretation. This is not a debate about that. This is also not a debate about what Greek and Hebrew words mean. Uh, sometimes there's some nuances of these words that have to be studied more closely, but we have enough ancient literature, both sacred and secular, uh, that we have a really good idea what these words mean. I read a book about a year and a half ago uh, where somebody went through and they changed really the whole uh, message of the Bible by changing the definition of four words, and, and that's, just, that's just crazy. This is not a debate about the meaning of words. This is a debate about whether or not God is going to be your authority or whether you're going to be your own authority. Uh, Mr. Thomas in his article says, quote, uh, we should look to reason, here's the quote, that we should look to reason and experience. He says that we should read the Bible and then we should ask the question from my experience, does this seem reasonable to me or not? Well, when we do that, what we're doing is saying, I will be the judge of what is reasonable. When we do that, we're saying that my preferences and my sensibilities and my judgment, that's the authority and God's word will submit to me. When Mr. Thompson uh, looks at a passage of scripture and he says with his lips and with his pen, that's an error, he is saying with his heart, my authority supersedes the authority of scripture. Don't be confused about the debates on the veracity, the truthfulness of scripture. These are debates about who's going to sit on the throne 
of our lives. Jesus said at the end of a sermon in Luke chapter 6, these words, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things that I say? The question is who sits on the throne of our lives? Just so your head bowed and eyes closed, I want to share with you some good news. God is a good king. The Lord is a great Lord. If you will trust what Jesus has done for you for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will ask him to be the master and the Lord of your life, to sit on the throne of your life, I'm telling you, you will choose a great Lord. God will forgive you of your sins and he will lead you into the right places. May we be a people who let God be on the throne, who hold his word as true. And may we as individuals honor God by honoring his word. Father, thank you that you love us enough to give us the word. Thank you that you're powerful enough that it didn't get confused or corrupted. Thank you that you're truthful enough to tell us of Jesus as the only way we can have eternal life. And thank you that you care enough that you call us to call upon you. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing.